This is the word of God from Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Then they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Amen. Well, food reminds us of our human limitations. It reminds us that we are finite creatures. I mean, food is delicious. Food is a gift, but that's not all it is, right? Food is also fuel. It is nourishment for our physical bodies. We, we need it. Remember the last time that you have been exhausted and tired? Maybe you've been working all day. Uh, maybe you've been out uh, recreating or on a hike or something, and you are exhausted because you need food, but then you get a whiff of some of that delicious food, and even there, before you eat it, it begins to perk you up, right? Food enlivens our physical selves. Even the, the aromas that enter our nose prepare our mouths and our stomachs to enjoy the good things that fill us then. Do you ever think about how God or how good God is that, that He has given us food that is delicious and tasty? I mean, God could have made our, our basic nourishment very bland, right? He could have made it just, just very basic tasteless, textureless, right? It could have been like thin gruel that he could have given us to eat. And that would have been fine, right? But he gives us something much better. He gives us the gift, not just of food, but of good food and all of the enjoyments, the scents, the, and the aromas, the textures, the colors, everything about it there. The variety of foods, but see, God has made us not only as body, as physical people, but God has also made us as spiritual beings too. We are body and soul, and he cares about both body and soul. And so he, we don't just need nourishment for our physical bodies. We also need nourishment for our spiritual selves also. 
Which also is tied to the body, though, as we see also. Because Jesus gives us a spiritual food that is as real as our own bodies. Exhaustion and hunger don't only come to our bodies, do they? We feel exhaustion and hunger all the way down in our souls. We have our own fears. We have guilt. We have disappointments of the things that are happening in life. And we feel the burdens stacking up upon us one after another after another. And we feel as if we are becoming exhausted as we're trying to carry them. And it leaves us drained. It leaves us lifeless. It leaves us hungry. Jesus knows human weakness, though. Jesus knows our weaknesses, not just our our physical weaknesses, but our spiritual weaknesses, too. And he feeds his people. He gives us real food to strengthen and to nourish us, to feed our faith with good food, with delicious food, with nutritious food. So that we can smell and taste good food, the good food of Christ, and enliven our souls once more here again. Jesus sets out a meal for us in those times when we are exhausted and in need of of nourishment. And the thing is, as he sets out a meal, he himself also is the meal. He is the meal. We smell and we, we taste and he feeds us then with himself. So that he uses real food which satisfies our deep spiritual hungers by giving us himself. And in beautiful ways that we can touch, that we can taste, that we can hold, and that we can see. That's what Jesus does in this passage. That's what Jesus did in an upper room with his disciples on the night of his betrayal, just prior to his death. Now Jesus knew everything that he was going to face. He knew everything that he would face in the upcoming hours, going into the garden and being betrayed. He knew that he would be put on trial and, and, and put uh, up unjustly and unfairly. He knew all of what was going to happen. He knew all of the scourging that he would face. He knew how he was going to be beaten and mocked going to the cross. He knew everything. But he didn't just know everything that he was going to face. He also knew everything that his disciples were going to face as well. He knew what they would face in the upcoming hours as they would be confused as they saw their Lord hanging on a cross. They knew also the things that that they would face in the upcoming days and years after he would leave them and go up and be ascended. And this was his gift, though, that he was giving to them. It was a gift that he was giving to them for their nourishment and for their strength and for their encouragement in his absence. For all of this here as they faced persecution as it would come to them. For their strengthening as they labored for the kingdom and spreading the gospel. As they also suffered, not only for the sake of the gospel, but as they suffered themselves and just in their own physical lives. And as they themselves still struggled with sin. Because after all, as they were apostles, they were still human. But it's a gift here that's not given merely to them, but it's a gift also that Jesus has given to the church. He gave it to the disciples. He gave it to the apostles, representative of the church, and then to continue on in his name. And in the same re- and for the same reasons that Jesus gave it to them, he gives it to us as we ourselves face persecution. As we ourselves are 
wearied by the labor that we do for the kingdom. It's a good labor, but it's tiring labor. It's for us as we suffer, again, not just suffering for the gospel, but as we suffer in our physical natures, in our physical selves, as our bodies get sick and, and fall apart and we feel the effects of the fall. He's given it to us because we still struggle with sin as well. And the gift in the meal that Jesus gives is a sign and a seal of himself. It's his person and work for us. That's the seal. It's a seal of who he is. But it's also visible in, in bread and a cup. That's the sign of Jesus there. Jesus prepares the meal. We receive from him. But Jesus also explains the meal. He tells us about its goodness, which is centering upon him. And that's just the two points that we're going to organize a sermon around this morning. Jesus prepares the meal, and Jesus explains the meal. And so we want to first look at how Jesus prepares the meal. Now, the occasion here is the Passover time. That was the feast that was going on. It was when everything during this last week had been looking up to it there. To the, uh, everyone who was in Jerusalem here from all around the country coming to celebrate the Passover feast uh, at the end of this week. In fact, uh, it was estimated that, that there was probably uh, five times the amount of normal people in the city of Jerusalem at this time. It was huge. It was the culmination for the nation and for all the people in the city. They had gone in pilgrimage to celebrate. And there was a heightened time of, for them to remember God's redemption. That's what the Exodus uh, and the, the Passover event was. It was, it was, uh, the, it was the prototypical uh, redemptive event in the life of Israel. Right? It was a picture then that, that they could always point back to and say, this is what made us God's people. It was God's redemption of us from bondage in slavery. And pulling us out by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm by his grace and making us his people. This is also a culmination for, for Jesus and his disciples also. This is the, the, the final part of this last week. Now behind the scenes and all this time, the religious leaders and, and Judas, they were conspiring to murder him. They were looking for a moment that they would go and find him and put, arrest him and put him to death. Yet we see, though, in all of this, amongst the heightened expectations of everyone looking ahead and, and, trying, and thinking about, about redemption, that of even here, then, we also have of Judas and the religious leaders looking for an opportunity to seize Jesus. We see his sovereignty and, and his control over all of the events of the week. Because he prepares and organizes their private celebration. Jesus sends two disciples to go into the town and to begin to prepare the meal for them. He says, you're going to go in and you're going to find a man carrying a water jar. In other words, this is going to be a signal to them. And you might think, well, a man with a water jar? How many, how many men with water jars would there be walking around the, the town? Well, not very many, actually, because that was regularly seen as a woman's work. So there would be a man there standing out from the crowds because he had a jar of water. He was carrying a water jar. And they were supposed to say, ah, that is the signal, that's the cue of the preparations that Jesus has begun to make for us. And so go talk to him and he will bring you then into, into the designated location that I have arranged here. And it's going to be all set up. There's going to be the couches, there's going to be the tables, there's going to be everything. All you two disciples need to do there is to go and start preparing the meal. 
and that we'll meet you there later. Why does Jesus do all of this? Why is, the one, why is Jesus the one organizing? Because he knows that Judas was looking for an opportunity to betray him. And if Jesus knew the time and the place of his betrayal, and he wanted it to happen at that certain time, he was intent on it. And if he told all of the disciples beforehand, hey, go and meet us there at this time, then Judas would have known. And Judas then would have had an opportunity to have Jesus arrested and seized even before they would, he would have eaten this meal with them. And Jesus has on his mind the priority of eating this meal with them. It's what he wants. See, Jesus would be, would be betrayed. He knew that, and he was sovereign even over his betrayal. But he would be betrayed when he determined was the right time. See, Jesus' death wasn't an accident. Jesus was sovereign over his death, and that includes all of the circumstances there. Right? Jesus wasn't just caught up in the gears of, of, of history uh, and the events of history. He is the Lord of history himself. And it wasn't just something that happened to him that he found himself in. He willingly gave himself over in this time of, of betrayal. He allowed himself to be betrayed. He allowed himself to go to the cross because there was a specific intent that he had in his death. It was going to be a redemptive death. He was going to give himself in place of sinners. Now, sovereignty isn't an out for human responsibility. Right, sometimes it's, it's said that there, well, well then... If God is, is, is sovereign, then does it, why does human responsibility really matter? Can we really be held accountable? Well, Jesus holds Judas accountable here. And again, it's another one of these marvelous demonstrations of his sovereignty as they're sitting there at the table eating, and he drops this bomb in the middle of dinner. He tells them, one of y'all is going to be betrayed, is, is going to betray me. My betrayer is actually in my presence right now. He's the one eating with me. And everyone is shocked. Is it, is, is it I? Is it me? But Jesus, though, speaks with a confidence in all this in his own resurrection. Because he says in verse 21, he says, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. And he's not just talking about his crucifixion and death and his resting in the tomb, but he's also talking about the new life that he would enter into. He's talking about the glory that he would also ent enter into. But we need to see this. As he's saying this, he's, not a, he's, he's also issuing a warning for Judas of, the, of the, the judgment that was going to come to him. When he says, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. See, Jesus is saying there, there, there's life for Jesus. But he's also talking about the curse for Judas. And it's a very very serious thing that's about to happen here. It's not just a statement of fact. Jesus isn't just giving it as a statement of fact, but he's also giving it as a warning to Judas. He's revealing the judgment that would, would come to, upon him if he carried it out. See, when Jesus revealed his, betrayer, his betrayal at the table, as they're sitting here, Judas is thinking, I'm, I'm going to be doing this later tonight, and then Jesus suddenly says, one of you all is about to betray me. What do you think that would have done in him? You also have to wonder, like, did he choke on his food a little bit, right? Um, did his eyes go big? Did he just look down? I mean, think about the fear that would have been in his heart at that moment. The fear that he would have been feeling, oh no, am I found out? What do you think would have been going through Jesus's or through Jesus or Judas's mind and his heart? Now, the other gospel accounts of, of this, this, this last supper here, they reveal that Judas 
was sitting and reclining next to Jesus, right next to him in a way that as they, they sat there as they would kind of lean upon each other in a way that would have afforded private conversation. This is a chance for Judas to actually have repented privately to Jesus. He's giving him an opportunity there. But of course, though, Judas does go and carry out his wicked plan. But Jesus was still allowing an opportunity for him to turn away. But this is still, though, Jesus is sovereign over his betrayal and his death. But he also has this call to Judas to put it aside. And that's a tension of of sovereignty and, and human decision here. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all things. But yet, you also can't ignore the real calls that... God gives to us also. Sovereignty, God's sovereignty isn't an excuse to relieve ourselves of action. It's not an excuse. Because there's still, though, the calls that we have for us, the call to repent. To actually put aside our sins. There is the call for us to pray, well, if God is sovereign over all things, then why do I even need to pray? Well, because God sovereignly uses our prayers for his purposes. It's the call to discipleship also. God calls us. God sovereignly has his disciples and he calls us to discipleship. So Jesus here has prepared the meal. But second though, Jesus explains the meal. They've prepared the meal. The Passover is all prepared. They're, They're sitting there at the table. They're eating it. Jesus has prepared the meal. But Jesus also explains the meal. Having good food is one thing. Right? You can enjoy something really tasty on its own, even if you don't know a whole lot about what it is or, or, or the nuances or the tastes and everything. You can, if something is tasty, if something is good, you can recognize the goodness of that thing pretty easily. It doesn't, it doesn't take, take a whole lot of work there. But there are certain though, foods and drinks that have this, this depth and this complexity that it might be good on its own, but to really appreciate it, to really appreciate that food or drink, it, it requires someone to help lead you and guide through you through. You know, it's almost like someone helping you to taste everything. You know, whether it's a, a chef explaining to you all of the, the, the preparation and the, the parts of his meal and, and the, the, the notes and the spices and the balances that you should be looking for. Or a sommelier go, taking you through wine tasting and saying, oh, do you get this? Uh, now, now th- these grapes were grown here, and so you can even taste the earthiness, and you can taste this and that there, and that's different from this one, right? It, you're, you're taking what's already good, but then in that moment, it opens up your understanding to make it even better. You're better able to appreciate and to enjoy that good, tasty thing right in front of you. The same thing happens here when Jesus institutes the sacrament here. When he has the Lord's table and he sets it out here. We see and we taste that it is good. But the words that he spoke with his disciples at that night, they help to guide us through the meal. And they allow us to taste and to savor the the depths and the complexities of this meal in ways that we never would have before. And one of these ways is on the occasion. The occasion on which Jesus is eating this meal. Now this is Jesus' last meal before his death. What would you choose to be your last meal? Jesus chose lamb. That's a pretty good choice right there. And then wine. And then unleavened bread. What? 
Well, he chose the Passover meal, right? He chose the Passover meal that was celebrated amongst the people annually. But it wasn't so much just the food. It was the occasion that he's drawing light to here. It was a night of heightened awareness of God's redemption, thinking back about what God had done for Israel and, and looking ahead about what he would do, contemplating and reflecting upon the redemption of God. In fact, it even said, it says in Exodus 12, 42, that it was to be a night of watching. That's what they did on that night in Egypt. They were, they were watching, watching for God's salvation. And then also still in the present too, it is watching for God's salvation. They, see, in all of this, this here, what was happening on that night, they, they was looking back here to the Exodus event from Egypt. When they would take the, they took the blood of, of, of a lamb and they slaughtered it and they painted it on their doorposts. And then they took the lamb and they created a meal from it. A meal then where there was, there was unleavened bread because it was to be unleavened because you're going to have to get out quick because my redemption is coming quickly and swiftly. You don't have time to to let your, your bread rise. And this is now what Jesus is celebrating with them as a festival and a meal commemorating God's salvation that was passed on through the generations and generations and generations. And Jesus then takes this Passover meal as he is sitting with them at the table and he associates, associates himself with the meal. He takes the bread, he takes the cup, he says, this is me. He takes the key elements of the Passover meal and says, this is me. I mean, even later in the New Testament, it refers to Jesus as our Passover lamb. He was the perfect unblemished lamb who was slaughtered for deliverance, for our deliverance. That everything that the Exodus event was, everything that it was, is so also is Jesus by his death. Jesus is salvation from wrath and judgment that was coming upon the whole land, but yet those who were inside those houses painted with the blood of the Lamb, they were saved. Jesus is victory over our enemies as he was the one who, who, who frees us, who frees us from oppression, and he brings us an entrance into God's redeemed people. Everything that, that happened on that Passover or on that Passover night at that Exodus event, that's who Jesus is for us. That's what the meal is that he's setting out for them, is communicating. Everything that happened at that time, that's me. It's not just the occasion, though, but it's the meal. He takes the meal also, and he says, that's me. Picks up the bread. What's he say? This is my body. This is my body. Why does he say it's his body? Because it was broken? As he breaks the bread? No, this is in particular. He says, this is my body because his body is life. The body of Christ is life. Right, think about how important Jesus' body is. How important is it that Jesus came in the incarnation, that he took human, a real human body upon himself, the Son of God doing so? What about his death? His death involved a real body. Resurrection involves a real body. See, see, the incarnation, death, resurrection, all of this here is a summary of the whole of Jesus Christ and of his whole person, of his whole work. This is the whole Christ then that he says is in the bread. Bread is sustenance, right? 
Bread is that sort of staple food for everyday nourishment, right? We say our daily bread. <clears throat> it's not just, you know, the idea of bread, but it's also, it's also what it represents. It is our daily, everyday nourishment. It's our sustenance, right? You work for, <clears throat> you work for your bread. And so what is this bread then here? It is li- our life and faith needs sustaining, doesn't it? And what do you need for your life and your faith to be sustained? You need Christ. You need him to sustain you in that. And he gives bread in this special setting here as a sign of himself. When you receive the bread, you are receiving Christ. You're receiving him for the strength and the nourishment of your faith. See, giving you moral statements will not nourish or strengthen your faith. Continuing to heap law upon you will not sustain and nourish your faith. Giving you inspirational quotes and other little nuggets and tidbits will not give you nourishment and strength for your faith. In fact, for someone who is truly exhausted and weary, those things will just continue to be burdens that will be weighing them down. What do you need most in your times of suffering? What do you need most in your times of weakness? What do you need most in your times of disillusionment? You need Jesus. You need to see Jesus. That comes through hearing. We have the word that is given to us audibly. But it also comes through not just hearing, but holding and tasting. It comes through the, the, the body of Christ, through the, through the bread of Christ. And eating the bread is taking him into ourselves and letting his life then be our nourishment, just as bread nourishes us daily. It's right. We need to eat to be strengthened. We need to take Christ and bring him into our innermost places, the very, the, our very inner beings, to be strengthened. And we need something real in those times when we are, when we are tired and exhausted, not just hearing but there's something beautiful but also holding and tasting and touching as well. It's the reality of Christ for us. But he also then continues to, to, to lead, lead through, through the, the meal there. And he says, this is also my blood poured out for many. We'll get to that middle part in a minute about the covenant. But my blood poured out for many. He's taking the cup and he's saying that this is of referring to his atoning blood that has been shed upon the cross. That has been poured out, it has been poured out for a purpose. On behalf of many, more than just the disciples, but poured out for the people, his people across the generations and across the ages. And that, that, that idea of, being of, of his blood being poured out for many, it is an echo of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the classic, uh, the classic, um, Prophecy of the suffering servant, the one who would be numbered among the transgressors, the one who would be the lamb who would be slain, the, one, the, the, the lamb, though, who would go silently to be slain, the one who would bear our sins for our atonement. This is, the, 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 this is what he's talking about, Jesus. Jesus is bringing in this allusion here because in Isaiah 53, 12, it says, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors, right? This is his blood poured out for the many. Well, Jesus, this is, it's talking about Isaiah 53. He has poured out his soul to death, right? To be numbered amongst the transgressors. The sovereign God, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the sovereign God, willingly subjected himself to being counted as a sinner. 
and to being poor and to pour out his blood in their place to make intercession. You know what that means, intercession? It's a word we talk about a lot of times, maybe a word that we've heard, but what does intercession, you know what that means? It means a few things. It means pleading. It means being in between to reconcile between parties who are at odds with each other. Jesus is saying, this is my blood poured out to make intercession. And his blood still cries out to intercede. The same blood of Jesus Christ that was shed upon the cross is still the same blood that is in effect for, for his people still today and for all who will come to him. So every time when you drink the cup, every time you lift up the cup of the Lord there, Jesus' blood and his pleading on your behalf continues at the very throne of God the Father. But see, this blood idea also harkens back to the Passover too. The 10th plague, the last one that was coming upon, upon Egypt there was one of the angel of death going over, killing the firstborn all across the land. And yet what was the only thing that would save them? It would be the blood of, the, of a lamb and its blood taken and, and, and put upon the doorposts of the homes. So that then, that's what the Lord gave them, so that then when, when the angel of the Lord would pass, would, would go through, he would look at the blood on those particular households and pass over in judgment. Salvation from death, salvation from judgment would come through the death of the Lamb. It was something objective. We are under the, the blood of the Lamb. That's what's protecting us. And I might be afraid. I might be fearful of everything that I can hear, the screams crying out through across the land, but the one thing I've got, I've got, I'm trying to hold on to right now is that I've got the blood of that lamb that God has given me painted on my doorpost. Drinking the cup is to be under the lamb's blood. It's safety. It's refuge. It's life. But there are also very, uh, also very important words regarding his blood, though, too. He doesn't just say, this is my blood poured out for me. He says, this is my blood of the covenant. This is my blood of the covenant. Now, covenants are promises and they're commitments. Right? We think about what is the quintessential covenant that we can think of. It's marriage, right? A covenant binding a husband and a wife together. They make vows Right? They're sealed together. But what also, though, helps to seal and as a sign of that covenant? What's a symbol of, a co of the covenant of marriage? It's a ring, isn't it? It's a ring. And God does the same sort of thing. God binds himself to his people with covenants. Right? He's always done so. And his covenants, though, aren't sealed by rings. His covenants are sealed by blood. He seals his people to himself by blood. He's done that. He did that with Abraham in Genesis 17 as he, as he uh, made a covenant with Abraham and he had animals that were cut in two. And, and then the idea was that you would go through them and say, if I fail to, to uphold the covenant, then may I be like these animals. And of course, God puts, Moses, or God puts Abraham to sleep in a moment and gives him a vision of him God himself is the only one walking through. His covenants are sealed by blood. And that's what we had in our reading this morning. Because that's what this is hearkening back to here with the Passover. With the meal that Jesus is talking about. With the blood of the covenant. 
It's not just Passover, but it's also afterwards in Exodus 24, as we, we heard read, where God is, was formally establishing his covenant relationship with Israel. And what was happening there, you had a ceremony that was happening. You had, on one side, you had an altar, representative of the Lord there. And on the other side, you have Israel, the people of Israel. And then in the middle, you have Moses as the mediator. And they take blood, that blood is, is from the, the sacrifices, it's, it's shed. They take half of it, they throw upon the altar. All right, so you have God being bound in one sense here with blood. And then you also have then the law being read to the people. And the people say, yes, we hear these words, God. We will obey them all. We will be your faithful people. And then the rest of the blood of the covenant is thrown out upon the people then. And at that moment, they're sealed to God, not merely by the oath, but they're sealed together by blood. Blood heightened the promise. This, would be, this covenant would be kept until pain of death. But the covenant was more than just Israel to God. The covenant was also God to Israel to be kept by pain upon pain of death. See, the sign of the, the blood there, the reason why the blood is because it said, if, if, if I break that covenant, if there is a breaking of the covenant, then let me bear the blood. My blood will be shed instead. Or my blood will be shed. If I am unfaithful to the covenant, if Israel is unfaithful to, to the covenant, then let them bear the blood. If God is unfaithful to the covenant, let him bear the blood. But here's the thing, though. Was God ever unfaithful to the covenant? Of course not. In fact, you have his people who are unfaithful to the covenant. But what would he do, though? He wouldn't say, I'm going to require the blood from you. He said, I am actually going to put my blood down for you. Jesus' blood is more than the removal of sin and wrath. Jesus seals that covenant relationship between God and his people. It is Jesus' blood of the covenant here. The blood that he would hand over. The blood that he would put on their behalf. Sealing them. Actually, taking, the, 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 taking the, our covenant unfaithfulness, but also sealing us together with God in a more beautiful covenant. In a, co in a, in a, a covenant not enacted by the blood of animals. A covenant enacted by, by the Son of God. A better covenant with better blood and a better pledge. Friends, what would it take to convince you that God hasn't left you? What would it take to convince you that he is continuing to work in you? What would it take to convince you that God is a loving father to his people always? What more than the blood of his incarnate son given in pledge? When you drink, every time you drink that blood, it is the promise that he is giving to seal you once more, right? That promise is sealed to you yet again. The blood of Christ and his covenant given for you and that he will finish what he began, that you are his. He will never leave you. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you because he is bound with you in a covenant. And he will finish what he began, he will see his good work all the way until the end. All the way until actually the end of the world as we know it now. Because with Jesus' statements of identification with, with the elements there, I mean, how can this be any less than, a, than communing with him? When he says, this is my body, this is my blood. Now, it's certainly more than looking back in memory, isn't it? Because it's also casting our eyes forward. We are actually looking forward to eating with Jesus. 
Did you catch at the end of Exodus 24, again, what we read before about the covenant after it was sealed, Moses and, and, and Aaron and, and the elders went up onto Mount Sinai and they, they went up on the mountain and it says, they saw God. What, how beautiful. They saw God and they ate and they drank and they beheld God. It was a covenant meal there with a future that's sealed by Jesus himself. Even his own words here when he says, I will not drink of the, of the fruit, again, of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus says, I'm going to drink it again. I'm going to drink it with you. I'm going to drink it with you in the consummated kingdom. I'm going to drink it with my people. It's going to be a celebration. See, it's God's, God's covenant sealed. And then they ate and they drank and beheld God. Right? Well, the same thing for his people here but in a way that those, that, that those Moses and Aaron and those at, at, on Mount Sinai couldn't even imagine. Not just beholding God, but sitting physically at a table and eating and drinking with God. So that cup in your hands that you have every week here, it's a promise. It's a sign and a seal of something that is astounding. That we will drink with Jesus in his kingdom someday. We will drink with him at his table in fact, that's the next time that Jesus is going to drink it. That cup is, is Jesus saying, I'm going to drink this with you. Just wait. I give you my promise. See, these are promises that are sealed by Christ. He gives and we receive. He gave them to the disciples at, at the table that evening. And he still does so today. He gives himself at the table. Now, it's more than just a memorial. It's more than just looking back. It's not just a a sign there of what he's done because the, there is an identification that he has with it. He says, this is my body and this is my blood. But also can't be taken literally, though, in the sense because Jesus was actually standing there in his body saying, this is my body. So we can't take his, so we need to take his words seriously and acknowledge that there's a mystery there. But we can say this, at the table, we receive and we commune with Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul writes, Is the cup not a participation in the blood of Christ? Is the bread not a participation in the body of Christ? See, what is participation? It means it's a very real communion. It's sharing with him. Just like you would, you'd, you'd commune with someone at a meal. You share fellowship with someone else sitting around a table. And Jesus is present at the table that he sets out. Now, he may not be present in physical form, but how is Jesus present and active and at work in the world today? By his spirit. Jesus is seated at the heavenly places right now in his physical body. But how is he still with us right now? By his spirit. And so to eat is to receive Christ. It's to commune with the risen Jesus Christ who is seated right now at the right hand of God the Father. Who is seated in the heavenly places. And if you are in Jesus Christ, that's where you belong. You belong with him. Life is more than the fallen reality that you know right now. And communing with Christ seals that and it impresses that. See, each week we come here, with, we open up our hands as beggars and we richly receive Christ in faith. See, can't you see why we do this every week? Can't you see why this is a joyous a, a occasion? It's not a time of somber reflection. This is a celebration when we come to the table. This is a feast and what do we do at feasts? We celebrate. And we eat and we drink with joy. 
Friends, are you hungry? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Do you feel weak? Are you fearful? The food that is about to be set out for you here, that's what you need. And it's not just mere food. It's Christ himself given to you. The Christ who is crucified for sins. The Christ whose blood has sealed you into an eternal covenant by his blood. It's the Christ who is risen and seated in the heavenlies. Who is eagerly desiring to eat and to drink with you in person some beautiful day. Let's pray. Lord, we are hungry. We have needs and to be filled and nourishment that's required. We are hungry deep down. And so we pray that you, and, and thank you that you have given us good food, the good food of Jesus Christ, and fill us with the goodness of Christ even as we, we come to the table here momentarily. Every time we partake, let us see Jesus and let us remember your covenant promise, your pledge that you have made with your people that it is a bond that cannot and will not ever be broken. Prepare our hearts as we come to the table. In Christ's name, amen.